sponsored by Adaptech Solutions, building software that defies convention. Get your startup off on the right foot for the future and avoid the dreaded MVP rewrite. Get out of your legacy code trap and get trained in modern software architecture practices. Visit adapttechsolutions.net today to see why we're different. Welcome to Advanced Tech Podcast. We're here with Nicholas Badminton. Hi, how are you? Pretty well. How are you? Nick? Yeah, I'm doing really, really well. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. let's do it again. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Welcome to the Alex Show and this and the sound guy. That sounds. <laughs> <laughs> sound guy, sound lackey. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Right. We should have a blooper Take reel. two. Yeah, right. Take two. <laughs> so welcome to the Advanced Tech Podcast. I'm here with Adam, uh, my co-host. Hi, Alex. Thank you. And our special guest, Nicholas Badminton. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the future. Welcome to the future. Yes, That's awesome. indeed. Um, so Nick, tell us about a little bit about your background. Okay, so it's interesting. So today I'm, I'm a futurist, and a lot of people ask me this question all the time. It's like, how did you end up here? Well, it's sort of if you can go back to like 1993, I decided to go to university in the UK, a place called Bournemouth University, and uh, it's because there was only a couple of courses in the UK that did human-computer interaction. I realised that the world was changing, and that interfaces and working out what was going to happen was really, really going to be very important going forward. So I chose to do a course called, it was a Bachelor of Science in Applied Psychology and Computing. So it was actually quite advanced and we, we looked at everything from like organizational psychology um, through to cognitive psychology. There was a lot of cog sci in there, um, behavioral psychology, artificial intelligence when it was like really early days of that, multimedia as it was known wasn't really web development. I was part of the internet club and we used to dial into Norwegian servers via green screen on sun workstations. You know, it was right on the beginning of everything sort of taking off. People got emails for the first time and, and we sort of looked at the theory and whatever around that. Also into complexity theory and a number of different things. I specialized in artificial neural networks and linguistic training, uh, which was really early. It wasn't very good. Uh, at learning um, grammar, I, I sort of maybe inferred that grammar didn't exist, and there was a big discussion around that. Did pretty good <laughs> at university, but for twenty years beyond that, and to this point, this is my twenty-first year of working. I've worked in uh, everything. I'm a terrible developer, but I started there, but quickly changed. Worked in software configuration, business consultancy. Ended up working for very large sort of management consultancy companies with some of the biggest names in the world, you know, Microsoft and British Airways and Virgin and Dell and all these different people. And then w went into advertising when I moved to Vancouver eight and a half years ago. And sort of played around with new tech and like, how do you do get customer engagement and whatever? But uh, about four years ago, around about this time, I was working with uh, a girl called Amber Case who's an amazing uh she's she's a researcher over MIT now and she's she's a cyborg anthropologist and uh she worked with with Ted and she did a big Ted talk called We're All Cyborgs Now. Me and my great friend Caris O'Connell uh went down to Portland and went to Cyborg Camp and it was this great meeting of minds. There's a bunch of people that were doing amazing projects, everything from measuring your own sort of well where you where you drove to, what you ate, that sort of stuff. The uh you know, prior to Fitbit all the way through to people like having implants in their bodies, talking about the impacts of data and wearables and a number of different things. And uh, I, I sort of said before leaving, I was like, Amber, let's do one in Vancouver. And she was like, oh, the idea came from Vancouver. It came from Dave Olson and Chris Krug originally. And I was like, okay, let's do one. And then like a month later, I'd forgotten about it and uh, and then realized that I should probably do something. 
did Cyborg Camp, 150 people from all over the world came. It was like the first conference that really touched on this new world of like wearable computing, implantable computing, empathetic design, a whole bunch of different things. It was really, really cool conference. And there's videos online if you look for Cyborg Camp YVR. And, and from that point, I just started doing more and more speaking. At the same time, I'd started writing for the Huffington Post. And I'd, I'd written an article about social media and, and terms and conditions and how the world was kind of gone crazy about trying to retain its own rights when it sold it all away. And uh, I'd read a book called You're Not a Gadget by Jaron Lanier, and, and I quoted him in that. But HuffPost didn't publish it. And then they decided to publish it in their magazine and bring me onto their TV show and then put it online. And then I, I continued doing more writing for them. And just just more and more people started reaching out. I started doing another conference called From Now. I've designed, I did some of the, the earliest sort of uh, meetups that were design thinking here called Product. It was really cool. You'd, you'd look at a particular product and realize that the impact that that had on the world. So we had people talking about the cell phone and how like the basic cell phone morphed itself into smartphones and then I, I talked about skateboarding being a creative force in modern architectural design and creativity and creating happiness on the streets and a number of different things and you know that sort of went and ended up doing some course sort of augmentation at Vancouver Film School and other places just ended up falling into this and over the years took a number of jobs at advertising I, I had two jobs within a year in advertising. They didn't understand what it meant, I don't think, personally, to, to really innovate. There's lots of yes people. They're the account people in advertising, generally, mm -hmm. that do what the client wants them to do. And I was the guy sort of bringing up augmented reality on my phone next to, like, a Telus VP and showing them what I could do with print for very little money. I was using, like, Layar and whatever. Actually, I did probably the first augmented reality campaign in BC with Telus, and this was, like... I'd say three years ago, nearly four years ago. Interesting. So, what technology was used in front of people's eyes, like Google Glass, or no, no? It's uh, so so. Augmented reality has been around for a long time. If you go into the Yelp app, oh, you're just looking at yeah. uh, you're just looking at the phone. Okay, so yeah, you're just looking at the phone. Yeah. You're not really looking right. at any special so sort of glasses. Like your Pokemon or game of today. Yeah, basically. Okay. But like, if you, you can still go into Yelp and hold it up, and you can actually put it across the horizon and still think. I think they, that actually uses uh, Layar technology, and Layar's a company out of uh, Holland, and it was actually really interesting. It was about thirty euros per activation to do and it took minutes to like set it up so you'd just take it you'd upload the picture of an ad in this case it was a telus ad and then you'd, you'd pay your 30 your 30 euros which would just take a watermark off of it overlay you know buttons and videos and whatever there you go augmented reality campaign so i did a number of edgy things like that built like twitter enabled like um, vending machines Right. Uh, used used Vine for weird little mm -hmm. adventure game campaigns, and just uh, I put three D printing and three mm -hmm. D printers in the telestores. It took forty five minutes to to sign up for a new account. Now took this is I've seen a. Uh, uh a company in Vancouver that does, uh, I, th I forget their name, but they do a framework for this kind of augmented reality. So yeah. they kind of are trying to develop uh, not just a game platform, but a platform for augmented reality and geopositional sort of uh, things. So I don't know if you've heard of them, but uh, there's definitely these companies are popping up if yeah. you're in Vancouver. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more productized. And at, funnily enough... Um, so what could someone do if I wanted to make my own... Uh, I want to see where all my uh, you know Twitter friends are, the yeah. ones that I follow, if they publish their locations yeah can i look across the horizon and see where they are in the city right now yeah in theory you could i mean it, it depends it, it take quite a long time to develop that software 
probably the easiest thing to do is do it for for the mobile browser and then if you want to use like hololens and whatever it gets a little bit more complex now what's interesting about british columbia it's actually a hotbed for for vr and augmented reality and also for what people are calling mixed reality which is just like things that don't exist in the world actually living in the world with things that do exist in the world and uh, what, what what people don't understand like the microsoft hololens is probably one of the better known uh, headsets that are available now yes you've got odg who've been doing uh, military technology yep. for a long time that's kind of available now yeah. these are all dev kits yeah um, i think valve also started uh, doing stuff with uh with that as well yeah so you've got well. htc vive which is yeah. the uh which is more virtual reality oh, but, i was talking about steam uh, steam uh, games like, oh that yeah thing. that's that started as well there's so. all sorts of things yeah. magic leaps Hopefully yeah. going to pop up this year yeah. if it's not um, too busy blowing all its cash in development. But like, um, what's interesting? British Columbia has got some of the world leaders in thinking about mixed reality, virtual reality. I actually did a panel at the um, Privacy Security Conference about a month ago with uh, Denny Unger, who's the CEO of Cloudhead Games in Qualicum Beach. He's like a world leader. He's got a world leading team, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's such a cool area, Qualicum Beach. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. Yes, so <laughs> beautiful. But he's doing amazing stuff, and they're they're based in the Qualicum Beach old fire station, so they got eight thousand square feet to run around in, which pretty cool stuff and i don't know exactly what they're doing but like he looked super excited when i saw him uh caris o'connell's working uh, in stealth mode in in some mixed reality um right now so that's pretty cool uh, and there's a number of other people I chat to macla flavel from uh, hammer and tusk and uh, but what's really interesting is people don't realize that um victoria um they developed the hololens in a secret location in victoria over nine years really? yeah so we've actually got this heritage of thinking differently and i think it's because we've got a heritage of games design right because in this new world of mixed reality augmented reality you're gonna have to like code in unity you're gonna have to use these three-dimensional um, design environments right. and and the people that are building for these environments are actually gonna have to come from gaming well the gaming sort of has driven a lot of the computing that we have today always because you just need the highest need processors the, the for power, that right? so um, and of course it was also one of the first few exposures that people have to technology as kids is video games you know that was true in the 80s for me yeah. but it's more so these days so uh, as people start to look at uh, what they want to do a lot of you know, big percentage of the population yeah. wants to get into computing because they want to make their own game as a kid yeah that's exactly it. I, yeah. I started i started when i was 10 years old like 34 years ago yeah. It's quite scary to think about. Yeah. On a B- on a BBC is. micro uh, yeah. in my cousin's bedroom, yeah. like uploading games and hacking yeah. things. Same story with me. Poking out lines Com- of code. Commodore 64 for right. me, right? And uh, BBSs and all that, if you remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, I got really into it. And, uh, yeah, but now we this huge, like, leap forward. So like, nothing's changed, in other words. No. <laughs> it's like, pros, you know, <laughs> like, uh, coders have got lazier, right? right? So it's like, you know, oh, we've got this memory. We've got this processing power. Mm-hmm. Sloppy. Yeah, right? Back not, in the day, yeah, it wasn't. We're not squeezing the bits. <laughs> but I think we should. Yeah. I think we should. And I think that's going to be the key. And that's going to be the key for things like mixed reality, also for artificial intelligence, to shrink down into mobile-sized devices as well. Because that's what people... That, that's where the tipping point is going to come. Like the ability to automate tasks and to be smart around using data, the collection of data. I actually think that data is going to grow in the next three years by tenfold. So today it's around around about four point four zettabytes, be four forty four zettabytes of data by uh, by twenty twenty. And what's really interesting about if we look at twenty seventeen today, the most valuable companies in the world are tech companies. That if you went ten years ago, some of the like. 
four out of five of the most valuable companies in the world, oil companies right. as well. So the world sort of really, it's this really interesting mishmash of like, you know, data is the new oil. Um, technology platforms, especially mobile, are the yeah. things that's going to enable like progression in the modern world. If we're talking about the new technologies that are out yeah. there, that's that's where that we're going to talk an interesting about. point about like, just economy and how you deal with capitalism and how you deal with uh, just day-to-day life because things have uh, become s- so much uh, less tangible. They're not things you can hold. Yeah. They're just bits either flipped here and there. So yeah. information as a medium has incredible uh, consequences in how we... Uh, how we do simple commerce yeah absolutely i mean you know kids are pretty much like the you know what is it the gen z that are going to be born today are literally born with a cell phone in their hands every time i see like mothers and fathers like their kids are like glued to screens walking around shops i almost want to grab them and say you need to stop this because kids kids getting sick like this amount of screen time causes a, a, a type of dementia called digital dementia where kids actually about the age of 19, 20, their right side of their brain doesn't develop properly. Um, this is a phenomenon that was actually found in Korea. And they've wow. actually they've actually had to build centers to help rehabilitate kids, wow. um, because like they they ended up having symptoms of uh, of dementia, mm-hmm. and and this is this is a big problem. But like if you think about it, all you're doing with these tech platforms is providing a, a platform for imagination. You buy a car, and you can have imagination to a certain point. You can you can add a different carburetor, a new a new sort of a race head to the engine. You can add a new exhaust that like increases the brake horsepower but it's to a certain level um with code and a platform like mobile you can literally reinvent the world whether it's from a visual perspective all the way through to a commerce perspective and that's what's really liberating a lot of people from being stuck in the middle of nowhere to like being stuck on a a boat and in the middle of nowhere trying to like do work or to to whatever right it's it's this liberation and about like six billion people in the world have got access to mobile devices today which is more people than got access to running water right um but about 2.8 billion um smartphones by 2020 they think and it's going to outsell pcs so the world's not going to be these laptops we've got in front of us it's the tablets Uh, it's the tablets and it's the smartphones right and then that's progressing forward and we're going to get OLED screens and the screen's going to be see-through and then augmented reality comes back into our world. Yeah. And then everything gets really weird. Well, we got uh, interesting other developments. Uh, the, uh, recently, um, at least at the time of this recording, we had a, an outage with Amazon that took out a number of services that's that right. we look at. So Someone uh, misspelled a variable. Yeah, I think I, I read about that, that today. Yeah, was, uh, you can, everyone can read up on that and might have it in the show notes if we uh, go through our content and uh, provide the links. But... What I was going to ask you is that sort of highlights a problem with today's today's devices yeah. and the way we work. We still have a lot of centralization is what it's pointing at. Yeah. And as as the computers in our hands, which are our cell phones and tablets and whatnot, our watches these days get more and more powerful and store more things. I see this as being, you know, the servers of the future and we're gonna have more of a mesh rather than a centralized model. Just for availability, and I'm not sure if you're. It would be interesting to to hear your sort of predictions as to how that's going to unravel, because there's a, certainly a lot of control. It's sort of like modern day oil. Mm. Amazon does not want to let go of being the provider sure. of how you deploy stuff. So it's it's interesting this discussion, and you know it's kind of interesting how mesh networks are still sort of like whispered about in the shadows. They're yeah. still not. 
you know, it's still got some use from military perspectives mm-hmm. and whatever. Got, you know, blockchain stuff and the, the blockchain and whatever. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of mesh experiments happening down in Australia mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, it's actually interesting that distributed like data piece. I think the, the screw up by Amazon really highlighted, um, our reliance on that technology. I was, uh, I, I worked with an ad agency eight years ago to help launch Microsoft cloud services, right? So cloud services has only really been rocking out for eight or nine years, but it's changed everything. It's like, what do you mean cloud? And you know, and the way that cloud works and it's still, it's just distributed data centers yeah. and yada, yada. It's the same old, uh, just other same old, it's a new way of doing other people's it. servers, right? So, yeah, yeah. So some efficiencies <laughs> and whatever, yeah. but like, you know, you know what it's when I chat to university students and whatever, it's like, get into data, get into security. Like, if you want a job for life, get into those things. Like I, I was at a municipal government uh, meeting before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I said, right, is anyone here in charge of security? And that guy mm-hmm. at the back, or IT, mm-hmm. guy at the back put his hand up. I said, how many security people have you got in your security team? And he was like, well, we've got about 10. I said, you're going to have about 120 within five years. Because with the Internet of Things and everything, like, you know, Mirai was a was like a, um, a botnet that attacked... I uh, did uh, distributed denial of service attacks um, using Internet of Things devices. There's all these like nefarious people that are going to play, you know, they're going to hack into cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually just writing a, a presentation and using a term called Medjack because mm-hmm. people have worked out actually quite a long time ago how to hack pacemakers. Oh. Yeah, that's and, one of the things that uh, I was going to lead into another question yeah, later, which yeah. is... Uh, the fast movement and uh, some of the complaints of people with implants, like <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, defibrillator, uh, all those different things that yeah. people put into your body, yet you can't see the source code of it. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, interesting things about patents, software patents, um, and uh, yeah, just the whole world's gonna starting to look at uh, fewer eyes on code. Yeah. The, the more the more problems it may have. So. Yeah, and cre- creating that security at a basic human level as well. I think Dick Cheney had an upgraded pacemaker because of the potential for attack on him when he was like, <laughs> you know, doing doing the job that he did. Yeah. Um, insulin pumps. Yeah. You know, uh, have been hacked in the last couple of years. So they, we're 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 surrounded. Okay, yeah. we're surrounded by technology. There's all this benefit. All these people are mm-hmm. trying to sell us more technology. Mm-hmm. You know, let's add te- let's add chips to all these mics so that we can understand performance of the mic and optimize yeah. it. Or this carpet, we can know when oh, it's we got, running, we got when light it's wearing bulbs out. With chips now, right? That's so, right. Yeah. And the light bulbs, <laughs> and then you've got light Li-Fi, which is like um like hundreds of times faster than Wi-Fi. So right. you could actually use light to, to carry data. So so wow, we're, we're being great. surrounded by all so of this. So can you buy these now, Wi-Fi? Yeah, you can, you can buy them. Awesome. It's, it's early I, days, I, I yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, imagine every street light in, in the world like actually emitting, like uh, being a data port. It, right. It's quite sensible. But also, great for downloading, but uploading. Well, be. who knows, right? <laughs> uh, what's really interesting is imagine, okay, we're in this room. This is fantastic. We've got all these lights above us. If this, these were Wi-Fi lights, great. Hugely secure because light can't travel through walls right so if all the walls were like uh, blacked out right then then it's hugely secure wi-fi travels through everything yeah but i mean if you forget to close your curtains at home and you have this stuff right (laughs) and this is it so we're actually moving into this world where i call it the psychedelic cultural reality we don't know what we're seeing in front of us we don't know how the world is changing it's like oh there's a self-driving car Oh, I'm wearing mixed reality glasses. I, I'm seeing like a little dinosaur skipping alongside me, telling me a story, or I'm walking along the street next to the Coca-Cola polar bear, yeah. like telling me to like you know buy some more Coke. Yeah. 
Coca-Cola. So one, one yeah. of the interesting things with uh, getting back to the just the level of data that's that's available to be stored, there's also the amount of work being done in software and the amount of people that know how to program. Yeah has obviously also skyrocketed because uh, you just go how to code on Google and off you go pretty yeah. much within minutes. We're back in our day when we were starting, we were trying to get books out of the library that were constantly checked out. Yeah. And uh, that was the only way. And, yeah. you know, looking at manuals, uh, reference manuals to, to code, it was really, painful. really hard, very painful. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, to, to just show how that's progressed, the Linux kernel itself has about 20,000 lines of code affected mm. every single day. Right. There is no organization that's big enough in the world, including Apple, IBM, Microsoft, and all of them combined to even compete with that. Right. Uh, and the trajectory is scary. So tell me about the decentralization of information in general and how, uh, how it's become impossible to traditionally organize any efforts in that case, especially since capitalism may get in the way and you may have uh, monetary incentives that are pushing things instead of the natural evolution of the need of, of a platform, for example. So, like so you know, platforms are out, centralization of platforms, storing the data in one place and whatever, that versus the decentralization, right? It, it's Okay, um, you've got Ethereum that's making huge leaps and bounds, and that's beca fast becoming like the blockchain platform of choice. You've got distributed organizations that are trying to work in these ways. You've got new ways of working with like holacracy, which breaks teams and there's no hierarchical structure in places like Zappos. You know, decentralization has got a time and a place. I think very much, and this is kind of controversial for any coders and project managers that love Agile mm -hmm. that are listening to this. Agile is a purest thing. I think that the way that Agile works the most brilliantly is when it's actually combined with something like Waterfall, mm -hmm. like project project delivery. Mm -hmm. And this is my this is my old days of being a program and, and strategy manager for, for large data implementations. Well, the pendulum swing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely Agile, uh, the pendulum swung to the extreme programming in Agile back in 2000 yeah. to, as, a, as, a, as an answer to the inefficiencies of Waterfall. And yeah. The true answer is always somewhere in the middle, so you got to see this where is this right. thing And I think rests. it's exactly the same when we're thinking about sort of um, centralized versus decentralized. I think that there's going to be a bounce, a happy medium. and. For re resiliency and whatever, sure, you know, there might be a million nodes in the network. You take out 100,000, it's still got integrity with distributed technology. But, you know, you take the 100,000 of those nodes out and you've still got a cloud service. It's still going to have, you know, it's still going to have integrity there as well. So I, I think it's going to work itself out. I think that people aren't going to be 100% um, sold on decentralization, especially people like banks. Mm -hmm. um, like new fintechs are like, screw it, let's do it. Like, you know, let's let's put in blockchain, let's think about distributed sort of storage of this and that, and they're disrupting banking. Mm -hmm. Normal banks are like, yeah, but then we've got all of these other security issues, right? And we've seen that with a lot of Bitcoin exchanges and whatever, yes, right? So, so in you imagine you've got a million customers and you've got a million points of failure. Which yeah, is, I think I, I think I lost a couple of hundred bucks on oh. those wild places. But this is it, right? So it's a really interesting discussion around the decentralization perspective. I mean, there's always going to be people that like love love Linux versus love other sort of more formal big company sort of operating systems you're going to have people that love distributed versus people that trust and know and, and continue to love sort of centralized systems as well okay i think kind of the, the latter is kind of the people that still 
love security and they still hold security to some of the traditional models. And I think that if you dig down into the word love, mm-hmm. when someone uh, loves Microsoft they, or they love IBM, uh, you really have to quantify what that is. Yeah. A, um, you know, something like Microsoft is a multi-headed dragon with lots of things. Yeah. There's a lot of things that to love about Microsoft. Maybe the latest Xbox games is why you yeah. love Microsoft. Mm-hmm. But there may be uh, other things that if you looked at what they were doing, yeah. you probably wouldn't love. Yeah. And that goes for any large organization. I mean, this days. is it as well. And I think, you know, I use the term love. And if we deconstruct that, it means I'm scared. I need someone to take care of me and to make sure that everything's okay. And because this big, yeah. this big mama or big popper of like software is there, then hey, everything's going to be okay, right? Sounds sounds like religion to me, but uh. <laughs> it's like yeah. modern software is right. <laughs> I mean, wake up in the morning. What's the first thing we do? We grab our phone. Yeah, I, I talk a little daily bit. Daily prayer. Well, this is what's interesting. If you actually look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right at the bottom, food, sex, warmth, physiological needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the very top of the pyramid, like um, self-actualization, right? And if you think about religion as self-actualization, well, what we actually do is we flip that pyramid on its head, and the first thing in the morning, what we want to do is just double check that everyone still loves us. Yeah. Like the first, and I was at a conference up in Squamish talking about this, and it's like, what's the first thing you do? You grab your phone, you look at your phone, you see what emails you got, you got the replies you wanted. I started a big conversation on, on Facebook yesterday, and it was like, just like, the first thing I did was like, I checked, check that. No sex, no food. Like, I was warm because <laughs> I was in bed, but like, it wasn't a really primary concern, right? Um, so this is what's happening. Is, is software and technology and all these services we use religion? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like information. You kind of have to know what's going on. It's yeah. uh, like keeping up with the Joneses times a thousand these days. Yeah, well, that's it. Exactly. In, in, information is power. And, you know, some people actually say, um, so So I think the film The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. was, uh, was 1984, <laughs> I think. It was It was around about yeah. that that era. Nice to meet you. No, <laughs> and, and some of it is like, get your ass to Mars, right? <laughs> but, like, um, but like, some of it was actually filmed down in Tinseltown Mall here, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 sorry, that was um, Total Recall. Anyway, oh, Running yeah. Man um, is actually... Go go back and watch The Running Man. And for anyone listening, go back and watch The Running Man because it's kind of where we are today. Absolutely. Information is power, control of the media, like some crazy guy at the top of the chain that's controlling a massive game that's a simulation and, and baiting of the crowd and, and whatever. And this is where we are. Is it religion? Well, it's akin to some form of of, of control and, and propaganda or anything that, that can be seen as a potential a potentially religious structure, right? Well, we sort of saw uh, parallel just to bring back bring back Running Man, yeah, uh, Black Mirror for those uh, you know spoiler alert uh, Let's do mute it. mute for uh, two minutes, <laughs> yeah, two minutes. Uh, one of the episodes was uh, a punishment of a criminal, yeah, um, akin to you know Running Man. So yeah. we're kind of getting into that world where we're desensitized to all sorts of violence and uh, all, all media is available without censorship at all. Yeah, um, Facebook Live has been one of the biggest uh, revolutions in the last couple of years. I did a, a lecture at UBC School of Journalism on um, where we are with journalism today. It's like non-linear and empowered. I talk about six billion journalists, six billion people that have got access to mobile, right? So six billion journalists. And, and one of the examples I give is uh, there, there are these three guys just rapping in their car to the song that was coming through the radio. And uh, they're clearly in a rough part of town. I can't remember exactly where it was. And uh, Facebook Live, and they they got shot in a, a drive-by shooting. 
Well, well. And, and that was all live on Facebook. There's another occasion where a cop shot a guy dead and it was on Facebook Live. There's all of this. The Arab Spring came through like feature phones and, and enable communication. And now we're in a world of like, you know, Snapchat and Facebook Live and YouTube Live and everything. Mm-hmm. We can just turn it on and that that's what's going to happen. It's going to be shared instantaneously, and we create the news. We are the news. We create the news, and and some people, um, Adam Curtis calls this like, you know, th- this idea of living in a in a world that, that, that that's overly familiar, but is 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 built by design, and the the, the design is like a it's like a false reality, but it seems so real that that we accept it for what it is. It's something called hypernormalization, and that hypernormalization is su- super interesting when you start thinking, you know, Black Mirror's got all these alternate views that's charlie brooker that that's been around for a long time in the uk i i'd heard about him a long time ago Mm -hmm. um the guy's brilliant he does something called charlie brooker's wipe you you should go and watch that as well all right um and he also he also created a series called nathan barley and which sort of predicted the the oncoming uh um world of of media and hipsters and the whole sort of thing so you should check that out too right bluetooth headsets and like People talking in very strange language. Well, that's interesting. So this uh, this uh, decentralization of news media now, obviously, you see centralized powers trying to make sense of it all, especially in our new uh, political era in the U.S. Yeah, with uh, advent of uh, fake news and the realization of uh, now being able to vouch for what you're seeing. Yeah, and the ability to Photoshop video essentially into showing whatever needs wants to be shown. So. The idea that uh, you can't believe what you see is is an interesting one to explore as we empower everyone to do whatever they want. Yeah, it's like doubt everything. I, I wonder if there's there's going to be actually systems put in place that you can employ as an individual on your phones or whatever, that when you consume news or images and whatever, you can understand the trustworthiness of that image to represent what's real, mm-hmm. what's real, real. I'm wondering if that's going to start kicking in as well. well. It could be kind of blockchain related where you have a trust network of your friends that you relied on. Yeah. I mean, I see that already in Twitter um, followers. You know, I follow uh, just a few people because I, I have a curated list of, that I that I follow and trust. Yeah. So uh, I basically look at that feed as trustworthy. So if you could extrapolate on that uh, based on Facebook or any other kind of platform yeah. that you will curate your own content to uh, be biased by who you trust. Obviously, there's a problem there because uh, you get these silos, as you see with the Democrats and Republicans uh, or conservatives and and liberals in the states right now, where you can't get good information uh, because you listen to your friends. Yeah, and that's that's right. And it's like, who do you believe in Chinese whispers and and such like sort of happens, right? Um, It's it's a really complex world that we're living in right now. I I think we all need to owe it to ourselves to be honest about situations to share opinions i mean there was a particular situation that happened and i sort of posted an article on facebook i'm gonna leave names of everyone out of this i shared a piece of information and it was about a particular um guy that ran a company that said something particularly heinous on on social media and 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 but a bunch of people knew the guy because he was local right Mm -hmm. Now, what he said was really heinous, and I I didn't like it, and I made my thoughts known, and people got into a discussion, and lots of people came up and and sort of started defending him. He's like, oh yeah, but it's a joke, and it was like it was really it was really sexist, and it was really uncool, and it was like a criticism of a of a journalist that started asking some hard questions about the company, mm-hmm. around valuations or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
but like these people jump in, it's like, I know this guy and he's a really good guy. You know, I kind of forgive him this little indiscretion. It's like, wait, all these people that suddenly jumped to defend someone was based on a trust network. I trust him. Hey, you know what? Like he, he made, he made a poor choice of comments and a very rude commentary to someone that he didn't know that was a reporter that actually had a halo effect of really upsetting a lot of people. And I'm not even going to give the oxygen to what, what was said or whatever, but let's just say it was a fairly sexist thing to say. It wasn't representative of, of probably a lot of people that work for him or even his friends, but a lot of his friends were saying, yeah, but he's a really great guy. Um, I, I, I subsequently unfriended all of them on Facebook because like, I, I think they showed a true intention. They, they weren't super close friends. There was one that was super close and I took him aside and had a long, long discussion <laughs> around it and whatever. Yes. And the forgiveness that we have in the world, the forgiveness of trust and, and, and trust. I think trust needs to be, ca- be treated very carefully. I think there are ways and means that we can actually build mechanisms into our world where we do have trusted figures and those trusted figures have to maintain an integrity that's in line with your own integrity. I think the biggest problem in the world is that people haven't worked out what their what their own integrity is and what their values are so that people can hijack them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, know thyself is the first principle, really, if you look at any right. any philosophy. Exactly. I mean, I'm still a work in progress. Everyone is, but like, <laughs> at, at least, at, at least you can like stand by certain principles, right, and ensure that you know what what you feel and what you say can be said. And the conversation is still going, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting. And people have sent me private conversations, like screenshots, and of what what other people were saying, and interactions that happened behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. obviously, I'm not going to share any of this, but it's crazy. This is like. Big news, right? Mm-hmm. You you look at what happened down at Uber, the culture of like you know the the bro developers and and all that, and this big sort of like dichotomy of like we're an open, great company that's progressive, but ultimately we're 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 potentially you know internally our processes are screwed and biased towards people that are the most valuable in the company. Mm-hmm. And if there's been heinous alleged moments where girls have been treated badly or propositioned and harassment and whatever, mm-hmm. it seems that that's been affected right and that's what the whole delete uber thing has uh, has sort of come down to and i'm not gonna even talk about that it's all alleged and they can work that all out and they should go and talk but um it's had a massive effect right to the heart of that company Mm -hmm. and uh anyway yeah i guess a lot of this stuff is also covered under uh this person does not fit our culture so you have that exclusion whereas companies that have a very clear uh, message and vision, not just on the culture, but also on the way that they work every day. They don't need to lean on those uh, things that can be taken advantage of, such as a inter- my interpretation of this culture is such and such, and you don't belong, yeah. versus actually getting work done. This is why I work for myself. I've always been fairly brash and fairly open and fairly honest. I've been fairly radical mm-hmm. my entire life. If I see something that's wrong, I'll say that it's wrong. If I'm working with a company and I see something that can be fixed, I'll say it to them. But I I got laid off from a job at an advertising agency here mm-hmm. because I had a very frank discussion with the board of directors of a particular company. And the decisions were made um, to exclude me from that business after that meeting because I'd hit so close to the bone and started such a, a ripple effect. The ad agency had to try and maintain that client because it was a huge amount of money for them every year. Eventually, the client sort of disappeared and away from that agency some four years ago, four years after that moment. And now the client has actually taken a whole bunch of that advice that I laid down on that day 
but only once they replaced half of the board of directors. It's kind of interesting. So I've been in this world of whatever. This is why I work for myself. And now I get to stand on stage in front of tens of thousands of people every year and tell you that, tell them that, you know, go to like Northern Alberta and tell them the oil will be gone by 2040, 2050. Exactly. And people thrusting oil sands brochures into my hand, <laughs> going to governments and saying like, these changes are coming. You're going to need universal basic income. The unions are going to be broken. I'm sorry. You can't stop this change. And technology is going to absolutely and fundamentally change everything in the world. So I think it's not a coincidence then that the three of us are talking about that. <laughs> right. Backgrounds kind of speak to the same, but, but that's similar it. experiences with organ- traditional organizations that we have to deal with. The yes, people exactly. changing the world are the people that don't believe the world's working in the right way today. Now, it's not to say that everyone comes up with the best ideas, but if you think about it, Steve Jobs didn't think that he thought that things like calligraphy and font were important and creativity were important. And do you know what? Fast forward to today, he was right. He was absolutely right. But back then, IBM just wanted to like build fast boxes and throw them out out the uh, the production line, right? Yeah. And like arguments and whatever. Bill Gates wanted to like basically build computer programming that was more democratic, even though you had to pay money for oh, it. Oh well, right? yeah, that, as long as you pay money, it was very democratic. <laughs> right, and, yeah, and so. I think I, I think what's <laughs> I think interesting the heart of the deal is uh, someone. That, yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you know, and Bill Gates' dad yeah. uh, um, basically engineered the deal between them and IBM, and yes. like yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. now now Microsoft is what well. I, I I love Microsoft. I, I I really do. Out of all the tech companies out there, out of all the Googles and Apples and whatever, I've worked with Microsoft for a long, long time. I think they've they've got a good heart sure they're about making money but there's some really good there's some good good intentions behind everything yeah there's also you know good intentions also lined the way to hell so right, that. and that's <laughs> it right it's it's not such a simple thing bill gates is trying to use all of his money they think that bill gates is going to become a trillionaire within like five ten years well, so like he's going to try and give away all of his money and i think i think that's well that's, there's that's a certain point in time if you're not a true psychopath that you have so much money that the only responsible thing to do is to give it away to the needs of yeah. the most needy um how how, how many uh, gold cars do you need to to be yeah. to be satisfied with life i always used to talk about two people i used to talk about bill gates and what he did and i used to talk about larry, larry ellison from oracle right oh that's a nice name yeah yeah <laughs> who used to basically fly his mig jet over silicon valley right it, and it's kind of the two like you know and yeah. they, they've got different styles and one's a big giver and the other one's so that, a hard-nosed so, businessman. So right? you, you wanted to ch- uh, be challenged with some questions. So you know, you brought up uh, the goodness of Microsoft, um, especially things yeah. like uh, Microsoft loves Linux was one of those things. Yet we see some of the biggest uh, software patent problems coming from Microsoft. Yeah. And we Munich recently, for example, has been uh, lobbied by both Accenture and Microsoft right. to get rid of their over 10-year decade install base of Linux across mm. their government workstations, which is a very very progressive move yeah. uh, uh, by that city, such a uh, especially at such a uh, young immature stage that Linux was, but the whole uh, FOSS movement was mm. embraced, uh, and now you see specific plants inside government to discredit anything, and yeah. uh, and and give an yeah. answer uh, that is a that is entirely looked at as backwards in terms of the trend of the rest of the world. Yeah. So, you know, how do you see software patents, uh, the patent system in general, um, and different licensing uh, and the legal sides of all of these things moving forward, especially as more and more software gets developed to be able to do this and platforms need to be uh, done the right way, standards need to be established in an open way for, for society to function properly? 
Yeah, so um, I, I need to start off by saying that I'm not an expert on patents. I'm, I don't understand the minutiae of, of, of legal agreements. Licensing, I do understand to a certain uh, certain level, mostly because I came from a world of software licensing. We used to sell million-dollar software licenses back in the day when I worked in like CRM software or whatever. I, how, how do I see it working? So there's two there's two sides of the coin. There's the there's the commercial making money, giving you the support you, that you need, uh, and creating infrastructure to help you progress forward using software, which generally comes from license agreements, right? Um, and then you've got the open source, install everything and whatever. And then you've got like the in between. So like if you've got Google for work and like you still have to pay money to be part of that, whatever. So, but like if you're an individual, you can have a free Gmail account. So if you look at something like Munich, I don't know that particular case study, but if they were progressive, you're always going to have people trying to disrupt them. It's the very nature of technology. And of course, people like Microsoft make their money not on people like us having that software installed on home computers. They make the money on it being installed in government and, and the such like. So, so you know, is one better than the other? It's really difficult to, to, to work it out. I mean, if something's worked, don't, don't, don't fix it, right? So if it's working in Munich with Linux, then, then rock and roll. But, like, if, if they're trying to, like, I can pretty much guarantee not all of the systems within the Munich government are operating on Linux, right? There, there's a few uh, cases where specific software was uh, just running on a Windows box, but I think yeah, uh, what but, happened in the end is most of them ended up actually running through Wine on Linux anyway. Yeah, so. but like you know, we don't know with like our permitting system down to the minutia, right? Mm-hmm. What pe- people like Microsoft and whatever like promise are these big, extensive platforms that can do everything that you want. Obviously, it costs right. millions of dollars to implement them. That I used to work in that world. Um, it's incredibly lucrative, but it, you know, it can lead you to a good place. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's all about the shiny new thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, upgrade past whatever planned obsolescence. People like mm-hmm. Apple are terrible for planned obsolescence, right? They, yeah, they have to just, drive their bottom line with with new renewed business, so it's understandable where the where the but but then but incentive then, is right. Yeah, but then you, you go to the point Elon Musk like um, freeing all of the patents from from what he did with Tesla, so that more exactly. people could develop electric electric cars. That's right. So why, are you for progress or are you just making right. uh, money off of progress? Right. Yeah, and that's it. So I this this is my personal perspective. I think the patent game actually stops us from progressing as fast as we really really should be progressing. Because it's just like a, it's just like a bare knuckle brawl in in the back alleys of like Samsung and Apple and Microsoft and Google and we built that we own that and whatever. Imagine a world if we just opened it out so that people could like use all of the progression in the world. We'd progress like ten times faster. You know, this is what exponential technology is. It's standing on the shoulders of the giants that that stood there before, right? Um, we're just going more slowly because of this this tension. <sighs> I would love to live in a world where we didn't fight over markets. Everything was free and we could just go about um, what we needed to do like as, as individuals and as companies. But unfortunately, the, the human nature of needing wealth is, is still something that holds all of us back down at, down at the atomic level. So in terms of being able to advance society, etc., records keeping is a big one that came up with uh, things like uh, patents, uh, specifically around uh, document uh, formats. Yeah. Um, so if you rewind back 10 years ago or more, uh, you know, it was standard to have a word 
format, which yeah. is a proprietary Microsoft format where your documents were stored. Yeah. Uh, government start, started to fight back because yeah. they had no guarantee that that information was going to be available sure. a decade or two decades down the road right. for whatever purposes. So I think for most part, any large company has lost the proprietary document uh, standard as a way to do business uh, right. over the last 10 years. Mm. Um, how do you feel about data standardization uh, open formats uh, and and things like this, as you say, where the data is, is going to be everywhere. It's going to be 10 times as much in mm. the next three years out there. Uh, it's pretty important that there is enough access to make that usable or is it just dead weight serving uh, commercial interests still? Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. Open data initiatives have been around a lot. Jaron Lanier talks in uh, You're Not a Gadget a lot about... Um, about open information, how you as an individual should be able to own your information, microtransactions if people want to use your information, those kinds of things. I, or, I'm kind or, or public information, like yeah. uh, the, uh, what's it called, the traffic uh, cameras, for yeah. example, being able to, uh, you know, you were involved in an accident and uh, it's public domain, the, any information that was out there. And if someone was filming it, they could easily distribute that and, yeah. and there would be no problems because yeah. it's out in the public. There are cameras at every intersection yeah. right now, and I challenge you to go find uh, the intersection out here on the street from mm. from twelve o'clock because you know someone you know uh, took your wallet. But think of the uh, think of the hoops you have to jump through to get yeah. that right now with a police report, etc. Yet it is open. What should be open information? I mean, this comes down partly to intelligence, um, protecting sources, and whatever. I mean. There have been a lot of malware attacks and there's been a lot of hacks getting into places where, you know, people shouldn't get a hold of data. Data is, like we said, data is the new oil. It's a currency. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like that currency is something that people want to get their hands on. Uh, as individuals, if we had that control, what would that look like? What would the integrity be like? What would the data quality be, you know, look like? We sign up for free services every day. Yeah, and we, we publish information for free, uh, yeah. for free every and, day. And, and, I but, mean, but, if you but, can do a live stream the product. from Facebook. Yeah. yeah, but we're the product, right? Right. right. So, so things are free because we give away our information, and that information is owned by the companies, mm -hmm. and the companies ultimately sell that information in one form or another mm -hmm. through, you know, targeted ads or... Or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, 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 it's really it's it's really complex. I mean, we're, we're in this world where we're bleeding data as humans every day. I mean, we're producing a podcast. This is audio data with lots of data points in between that other people are going to embed in other data formats of like blog posts or or whatever that's going to live on different platforms like phones or or laptops. Right? It's it's going to be in so many different places. So. <sighs> Do we let it run free? I, I guess we do. Some people, some people have chosen not to live in this world and uh, don't exist. But like, it's hard. If you want to disappear, it's very, oh, very, it's very hard. hard. You have to look at all the cameras at every intersection that might, you know, yeah. do facial recognition of whoever's passed by. You know, and we're even like, look at Amazon. We haven't even chatted about Amazon. Amazon Go, sort of my part, like my my final thought on on this all, really. Amazon goes down in Seattle. It's got a bunch of different technologies that it uses, and they say it's just like self-driving cars. And basically, you, you walk into the store, you scan scan your Amazon Go app, and you just go about taking stuff off the shelves and putting it in your basket, and you just walk out the store. I think they call it just walkout technology. Thank you, brand managers at Amazon. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting about it, it connects your real-world perspectives of what you're buying in the store and what you buy online to create a 
bigger and fuller picture of who you are. Now, I don't know exactly how the cameras work, but if I was architecting a system like that, I'd be capturing your mood in relation to certain products. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be as uh, as as detailed as the dilation of your pupil when you. Oh, it's even people's stride. There was a very good. Uh, yeah, the gate. Nova, I think it was yeah. a Nova episode about yeah. that. Uh, yeah, the people's gate. Whether you're happy yeah. or not, they have yeah. a different walk. There are like satellite intelligence that can tell like the gate of your walk and identify you as an individual more accurately than a fingerprint. Stuff like this, it gets a little bit black mirror at this point, <laughs> but like. You know, I, I think what what we're getting towards are these like super tech companies. I don't think we're there quite yet. I think Amazon, Google, Microsoft are going to be right at the top there. I think Facebook's going to be part of that group as well. These are going to be like the the behemoths. Um, will there ever be sort of like a joining together of these companies? I don't know. I think within twenty years, I think we'll see some very interesting steps made to to bring together information. And I still think as individuals, we're not going to have as much control as we'd like. Very interesting point. Um, so that brings us to future trends. What do you see happening in you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Well, I, I think uh, I, we've got a reliance on oil. Oil is going to be gone in, like I think, about 30 years. Um, combustion engines will be gone. It will be battery and electric. Solar will be predominant. That's around renewable energy. I talk about that a lot. Artificial intelligence is going to change everything. So in the early 1900s, electricity was was discovered and it changed everything. If you look at an exponential technology graph, about 1900, it whizzes up, right? Mm -hmm. We're at that point. Um, Andrew Ng from uh, Baidu says that AI is the new electricity. I think AI will be in absolutely everything. Um, I think it's going to be hugely disrupted to the job market. It's going to change jobs very much like the spinning Jenny changed jobs in the factories in the Industrial Revolution. I think that's the second thing. I, I think that there's a there's a third thing that we're going to be trying to work out what it means to be a human in the modern world. We're surrounded by all these systems and all these sensors. We're going to redefine who we are. I think that we're going to have two doctrines. We're going to have people that, that see themselves as pure humans that can operate using machines or even exclude themselves from machines. And you're going to have the transhumanists that actually let machines interface with their bodies, brain-human, uh, brain-computer interfaces, um, implants, powered knee joints, all, all kinds of great technology. I'm a transhumanist. I believe in that. I think that's the world where we're headed. I think there's a lot of people that are scared about that. And uh, I think that, you know what, we can't stop progress. And in 100 years' time, it's going to all be very, very normal. So is is, uh, is programming uh, going to be a blue-collar blue kind of job? Or... That's really it. I've never, heard it <laughs> I've never heard it talked about like that, but that's it. So, so, yeah. So the factory workers, yeah, the coders, it's going to be – everyone's going to be coding. Everyone's going to be doing security. Would it be blue-collar – I think standards of living will, will rise up. You know, the ten dollar, the ten dollar an hour coder. Well, so you that, know. that's interesting. It sounds like uh, computers and robots can do everything already. Um, how do you feel about uh, basic income? So, universal basic income was actually an experiment that was undertaken in uh, Dauphin, Manitoba, in, uh, about forty years ago, and they found after two years of running it that. And basic minimum income means that you get a basic amount of money every single month. Every single person, regardless of what they did for a living, has got a basic income to ensure that they can feed themselves, clothe themselves, pay for bills and whatever. Dauphin Manitoba replaced the social security system with this basic minimum income. I don't know how much it was back then. It was probably enough to, to make sure that everyone's okay. 
um, after two years, they found that everyone was healthier, happier. Um, they worked longer hours and had more dedication to the community. And now they're having to experiment out in Ontario. They're doing it in yep. Finland. I think we're actually running towards a world where automation, artificial intelligence is going to destroy a lot of jobs. That during the period of redressing, like what's going to happen, we're going to find people that are going to need basic minimum income so that they can cross train, up train and work out wh where they're going. And I think the salaries are going to drop. I don't know how much they're going to drop. Your comment about our developers, the new blue collar workers, I think it's it's a really astute little idea, um, an astute little insight to think that there's going to be a, a majority of people in the world that code. It's going to be fairly standard. It's, it's going to be less special than it is today. Like if you're an amazing coder, you get paid a lot of money, but there's not actually that many of you, right? I think I pulled a figure. There's like 18.5 million coders, I think, in North America or something. Oh, that's right? quite a lot. That's Rising, quite a lot, yeah. but like not in the <laughs> scheme of things. You know, it's like about, what is it, 10%, 12% of, of total population of, of, of North America. Imagine if that was 50 or 60%. And it's just like coding farms everywhere. I mean, people aren't going to be getting paid $200,000 a year. Right. Like I think things are going to change, you know. Artificial so campaigns are still run around creating jobs, right? In terms of getting people elected. Yeah. Uh, so how, how does this really affect what uh, we're going to see in terms of uh, the people that are just uh, you know not informed, or they are they're more uh, they're more afraid of change let's say there's, so i guess there's a lot of people that live uh you know they just they're they're tech, technophobes maybe yeah. and maybe they're just old school or maybe they just prefer the life out in the wild yeah let's talk about three things like manufacturing farming and uh driving right as, as occupations and i know driving can operate in, in both of that so manufacturing robotics are going to replace the majority of humans in factories it's going to happen the whole people talking about the economy is going to get better because the fact that things are going to get built here is like by robots. It's not going to change the amount of people working. So that's the first thing. The amount, the amount of uh, the amount of production's gone up, and the amount of people working in manufacturing has gone down, and it will continue to go down. And the cost per item, cost per widget, has gone down as well, and that's what everyone's after. Huge things are changing in China. Foxconn that makes a lot of components for the iPhone and, and whatever. They're going to replace sixty thousand people this year with Foxbots. 60,000 people in one factory. And that's going to happen. It's going to be rife in China. We're going to see, look to China for like how manufacturing is going to change and how there's going to be dire straits and quite a struggle of humans trying to work out what to do after they're, they're let go from that. Um, secondly, secondly, looking at agriculture, you're, you're going to have pharma scientists, like, I think, sitting in like, um, control centers. Everything's going to be automated and everything's going to do itself. Everyone's going to look after itself. The harvest is going to happen with very minimal sort of human interaction. There'll be fewer farmers in the world and, and larger acreages. It's going to be – so farming is going to be destroyed as an industry in terms of like lots of people being um, employed there. And, and thirdly, driving. So self-driving trucks exist today. Otto is one particular technology. There's a number of other pieces of technology. I think within 10 years, um, the Brookfield Institute at the University of Ryerson said that about 42% of jobs are going to be disrupted by artificial intelligence within like 10 to 20 years. Um, one, one of the top five was actually um, truck driving. Truck drivers are going to disappear. Just in America alone, that's, that's about 3.5 million people. Probably across Canada, you probably got easily got a million people that drive, tr drive trucks. All that's gone. So in terms of uh, now... 
take a look at that and uh, contrast it with the fact that we have uh, still an incredible amount of uh, rainforest destruction and environmental impact as we're getting really, really better at uh, at manufacturing and automating all these things. Yeah. Um, and for all intents and purposes, our population growth is starting to curb. But where, at what point do we realize that we are harming uh, the environment and the waters anywhere to the point where uh, things take a drastic turn? Some people say that we're beyond the point of no return and yeah. it's pretty much useless to to do anything because it's we're here only for another 100 years or 200 maybe yeah. go into methane and co2 emissions yeah. and uh, the amount of uh, renewable freshwater renewable resources like fish and yeah. fisheries around the world yeah. acidification of the ocean well, all these things that you hear about that are all from the environmental scientific you know backing that uh, some are putting their heads in the sand like ostriches and some mm-hmm. are shouting a lot louder how does all this technology and uh, embracing of the future help or hinder that uh, it's a challenge like we look at our laptops and everything that's used to build a laptop that, that's got oil in it it's got it's got minerals out of the ground in it these things are still going to happen but the biggest the biggest culprit is burning fossil fuels right so as long as we can get rid of that we're going to help ourselves a lot more and we can take we're going to take steps ahead you should watch a movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio called uh, After the Flood that's a pretty good movie to, to look at all that kind of stuff yeah but in terms of technology specifically, as a as a futurist, you're always looking at yeah. uh, AI and disruption. Yeah. So, is do you find any place for a specific type of disruption besides the obvious? We're going to use solar versus oil. Mm. Uh, some other ways that uh, that we're going to advance, uh, maybe make ourselves less re- reliant on certain things, like you said. Maybe uh, maybe we'll start recycling more components. Yeah. Or something like that. So there's the circular economy, which is an idea that's pushed forward by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and it's about taking the processes that we use today, making them more efficient, recycle, reuse, that kind of thing. That's going to be really, really important. I think the renewable energy is going to be really important. We're well, trying to, pro- you know, uh, prompt you to to yeah. get more interesting insights Understand. so people get the hook. And, I can uh, come back. <laughs> okay. okay, so, um, yeah, so like a future corner yeah. with uh, Nick yeah. every month. That's actually, that's really good. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it once in a while. <laughs>